it's just it's funny to me why they call it recording when I'm doing it for the first time. I'm courting. Not recording. I'm sure that there's some I don't care. I don't know, explanation for that. That's probably like <laughs> Latin for to do something. Who knows? Alright. I'm I'm courting. <laughs> oh man, I'm tired. I need to take a Maybe nap. Maybe courting is when you're saying it. So you're like recording it. Yeah, but I'm saying it for the first time. Yeah, but you're recording it. Not re-saying it. Maybe it's where you can re-listen to it. Maybe. I don't know. Someone looked that up I'm and gonna... sent us an email about the origins of the word record. Yeah, we want to know. <laughs> but we don't want to look it up, so someone look it up for us. Yeah, we're... <laughs> look, I've been looking up shit about cowboys and Koreans and God soon. <laughs> like, that's... This is a... There's a lot of research that goes into it. You can do that for me. <laughs> <laughs> it's such a simple, normal request. <laughs> To the strange and unusual where we discuss the strange and unusual this is episode 29 of our series seeking out the weird the unexplained and the devious from around the world i'm roya and i'm casey and today we'll be talking about the land of the morning calm south korea yep i never actually heard that <laughs> i think the uh the one for Afghanistan is like the graveyard of empires or something. Which is kind of horrifying. Kind of badass. Sounds like a metal album. Alright, my headphones screamed at me. Battery low! <laughs> so I needed to plug in. Anyway, so we're talking about Korea today. Yeah. <laughs> Not the bullshit happening in the US right now. By the way, Black Lives Matter. Yeah, um, still still matter as they always matter. have, uh, and will always. So speaking of moving on to a topic which is not as horrible as what we uh, are experiencing, I'd like to tell you that my story uh, involves content warning of mental illness, suicide, murder, and possible child death. Uh, mine also has a trigger <laughs> warning. <laughs> content warning um for rape and murder and rape of a uh pubescent child so oh god but only one oh okay that makes it better i mean comparatively to some of them i've looked at where it was just like 50 children between the ages of like nine and eleven yeah i guess you know one one is better than that i mean comparatively <laughs> oh man so now we gotta figure out whose story is horrific enough to go first i don't particularly care i think everybody's gonna feel bad after this so well i went first last time so how about you go first all this right time? all right all right so, 
It doesn't really matter because they're equally horrifying. <laughs> they're going to be horrifying. So I'm going to tell you about a little urban legend from South Korea about Mr. Cuckoo. <laughs> Do what? <laughs> um, he is a serial killer. He's also called the Cuckoo or the Cuckoo Man. Um... I aspire this... to be known as the Cuckoo Man. <laughs> okay, I'll I'll call you that if you want. Yeah, get right on This that. started spreading throughout Korea some number of years ago. That's literally the amount of time that I'm given in every story. Uh, most were written around 2015, and they just say, like, a few years ago or several years ago. There's no real timeline for this story, and from what I could find, the earliest reports date back to 2010. So rumors of a man skulking around the streets of Korea near schools started spreading like wildfire. The story went that this man would hide in alleyways or hallways, waiting for young girls to pass and calling out to them. When the girls would turn to look, the man would attack, brutally usually with an axe. These stories claim that there have been several witnesses that report girls being attacked by this man. One particular story noting that he attacked a large group of girls with a club, hitting them one by one as if playing a game of whack-a-mole, leaving five of them severely injured. Their words, not mine, whack-a-mole, by the way. Only it was whatever the Korean version of that is. So, his appearance varies from story to story. While cuckoo is a colloquial term that we use here and a tasteless word for the mentally ill, uh, that is not how he got his name. Rather, it is more likely that he got the name from the bird as what he calls out to these young women as they pass is cuckoo, cuckoo, like the bird in, in the clock. Uh, and I had to look it up. They do actually have cuckoo birds in Korea, so that all makes sense. So, one of the earliest sightings reported of a group of girls uh, stayed out too late at a friend's house studying. It was dark out, but the streets were quiet, and they all felt safe they'd made this passage many times. They passed an alley and heard the sound of someone calling out, Cuckoo! Cuckoo! So they looked around to investigate, before being attacked by the man. They were beaten badly, but managed to escape. And since then, more and more of these reports popped up after the first alleged altercation. Adding to the legend is the theory that the cuckoo man was a patient at a mental hospital, suffering from severe mental illness or several illnesses. It is said that while he was being treated at this hospital, he was physically abused, horrifically beaten by another and female patient. So they claim that this torture by her hand is what led him to developing this resentment and hatred for women with a vendetta against all womankind. After this, he is said to have escaped, and he was never found. Soon after, the reports of these attacks began happening. In some legends, this man is not a man at all, 
but a spirit acting out the vengeance he was never able to have in his mortal life. You know that the first story kind of reminds me of the American kind of legend of Cropsy. Yeah. Kind of a similar idea. What I thought in that line of comparison, what I thought was super interesting is that um, the yokai episode, Uh there were a lot of like, um, like the, the masked woman. Yeah. Was an urban legend that I found in South Korea and the toilet guy. Yeah, I mean, I would imagine that there would be a lot of shared legends among them because of the imperialistic nature of Japan. Yeah. Uh, that there would be a lot of shared history and mythology. Probably, I mean, I remember the, the yokai episode also bridged into China for some of the legends, mm-hmm. too. Basically, you know, wherever the japanese expanded to would have been affected to some capacity by them being there i mean it's just like how how incredibly affected by um spain being in the philippines you know how their language varied and changed so much and their food changed Mm -hmm. so much and things like that um even with not an extended occupancy. Yeah. But I just thought that, like, because I was looking for, oh, like, you know, urban legends in yeah. Korea. Um, but there is a way to escape Mr. Cuckoo. Tell him he's pretty. Oh, no, that's not. I mean, I'm sure that would confuse the shit out of him, but that's not one of the ones they offer. <laughs> uh, if you are walking alone on a quiet street and you hear him shout out, Cuckoo, Cuckoo. You're supposed to cuckoo back at him. This is supposed to confuse him long enough for you to get away. Similarly... Oh shit, another cuckoo man. Yeah, exactly. I don't know. But similarly, they say that if he does get close enough, he may ask something like, Do you know Mr. Cuckoo? And you're just supposed to say yes and then run the fuck away. Noted. I I thought... Saying no would be the answer. But then I realized, no, if you say yes, it means like, no, he's already got to me. I know exactly who he is. Ah, run away. I feel like we <laughs> need to put together a book of all of the, like, if you're ever approached by a the... black Volga, this is what you yeah. do. If you're ever approached by someone going, cuckoo. La Urena. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right. So. The stories mention the psychiatric hospital, and if Mr. Cuckoo does exist as a spirit, there is some conjecture that he may have been treated in none other than Kunzium Psychiatric Hospital, uh, what has been called one of the most haunted places in South Korea. CNN named the hospital in their list of the 10 freakiest places in the world. That's right, Roya. I've got to buy one, get one on Urban Legends today. (laughs) Two for one deal. There are tales of mysterious deaths surrounding the hospital, doctors who are as unhinged as the patients, and other horror movie-esque descriptions. The hospital was closed in 1995 and left abandoned, but not for the reasons that most people speculate. Before it was demolished in May of 2018, the 
Congium Psychiatric Hospital. I have to take my time reading that because for an American, the phonetic is Gongiam. <laughs> but I know that's not how it says, uh, how it's said. <clears throat> so I'm trying my best. Um, before it was demolished, it's located in the town of Kwangju, which is uh, southeast of Seoul. Um, and it looked literally like something out of a horror movie, just an abandoned, overgrown with plant life, building tagged with graffiti, surrounded by rusty wire fencing. Inside the hospital, there's like broken down exam equipment, old filthy beds, whatever the modern medical term for chamber pots is. There are rumors of the hospital's owner suffering from his own terrible mental illness and claims that both patients and staff were dying suddenly. And while some believe these deaths were caused by unsanitary conditions and issues with the sewage system, many people today still believe that it was haunted. So I watched several videos online of people wandering through this abandoned hospital, and it was textbook horror movie stuff. Peeling paint, calendars on the wall from 1996, everything is filthy, litter everywhere, and it's hard to tell what's left from the hospital and what was left by teenagers looking for trouble or groups of would-be ghost hunters. Yeah. One group I watched even took a Ouija board, and I was like, damn, they should have uh, subscribed to our Patreon at patreon.com slash strangeunusual and listened to Roya's list of Ouija board do's and don'ts in the episode about Zozo. Because <laughs> they were dumb. <laughs> so what I've researched, the legend goes that these people died without explanation in their rooms or in their offices at their desks leaving families without answers as to why. This is allegedly when the rumors of the haunting started, although there was one theory that it was haunted before those deaths occurred, and that the ghost or ghosts may have cursed the residents and employees causing these unexplainable deaths. The story involving the owner or mad doctor, as he frequently is called in these stories, uh, claims that he may not have only locked up his patients like prisoners but he may have also used cruel forms of and i really want you to feel my air quotes here treatment <sighs> the story goes that this doctor fled to the u.s in the 90s as authorities started to take notice and snoop around and the idea being that the government came in and shut the whole thing down Different groups of ghost facers claim that they've seen doors opening and closing on their own, feeling an unwelcome vibe, leaving with mysterious scratches, seeing shadows and figures, hearing moans and screams, the general spooky haunty stuff, but of course, nothing is really solid or consistent. Now, according to Atlas Obscura, this is all fake news. I do that with my little trumpy fingers. The story... As they tell it, Gross. is that the hospital was forced... Well, you wait, because that's basically why I'm doing that. <laughs> the hospital was forced to close suddenly due to economic troubles, unsanita unsanitary conditions, and issues occurring within the sewage system. The sewage problem got so bad that the owner 
left the country, leaving no documentation on the building, nothing about the land, and eventually the hospital just closed its doors and was abandoned. Now, if it is okay with you, Roya, I am going to get on my soapbox for a minute. Kojium may or may not have been haunted. We know why things ended up the way they did, or at least that's the story that has been fed to the public, but the idea of a haunted asylum bears a lot of weight to me. Like we talked about in the last episode, there's a lot about souls that aren't at rest that really seem to cause these hauntings and experiences, and a psychiatric hospital is a hotbed for agitation. Before doing this story, I wasn't sure how things were in South Korea in terms of how they care for their mentally ill, but AJ, my husband, for those of you who haven't figured that out, worked in two different psych hospitals here in Virginia over the last few years. These hospitals are generally underfunded and understaffed, and the general feeling is that while we're making slow progress in reducing the stigma around mental health issues, these are places that the mentally ill are put to be forgotten. That is a huge generalization, and I'm sure that's not true of all mental health facilities, but similarly to nursing homes, like, it's just a fact that some people are awful and they do that sort of thing. Getting back to the topic at hand, there is no mental illness, or there there is no illness that is more isolating than mental illness. And AJ has mentioned in the past that patients of Asian descent had it so much harder than most because of families that would essentially abandon them after their diagnosis. Yeah. With that in mind, I thought, well, makes perfect sense that these spirits would be not so super stoked, right? So I went down a rabbit hole and I have feelings about it. (laughs) (laughs) I found an article from the Korean Biomedical Review called Stigmatizing Mental Illness Leads to High Suicide Rate. I think that really says all it needs to say. But you know I can't shut up about anything, so here I'm going to say more. What I found in this article was that of the 37 countries in the Organization for Economic Cooperation and Development, or the OECD, South Korea is in the lead for the title of Suicide Nation. Author of the article, Marianne Chu, uh, claims that 13,000 people ended their lives in 2016. Wow. She, She adds that 3,500 people in their 60s and 70s ended their lives, making the elderly suicide rate twice that of the general population and three times the average of elderly suicide rates within the OECD countries. By the way, U.S. is in that group. So just to put that in perspective. An article on the same website posted in January of that year, uh, 2018, uh, is about how the country aims to lower the suicide rate by 2022, but Chu argues in her article that no amount of money for programs will be helpful until the stigma is beaten. The reason people don't seek help is because of the highly competitive culture that is fostered there. She says, suicides uncover a more profound and unsettling truth of Korean society. Koreans can't be mentally ill. The stigma surrounding mental illness is so strong that saying, I struggle with mental health issues, is equal to saying, please ridicule and ostracize ostracize me. This is something very few people, even the mentally sick, would be willing to say. The ridicule that follows a mental health diagnosis often stems from the fact that people are 
mostly unfamiliar with, afraid of, or downright repulsed by the idea of mental illness. Combined with prolonged economic hardship, cutthroat competition, and a culture where honesty is often punished and being different is unacceptable, people are unable or refuse to admit that they have a physical or mental problem. She explains that due to the values that are held by the nation, death is easier than acknowledging everyday setbacks. Death is less shameful than asking for help. So I want to say something to our listeners and make myself very clear when I say there is nothing weak about asking for help. It is incredibly brave to recognize that you cannot do it alone and reaching out to somebody. That is how we grow. We do not have to, and we cannot do it all on our own. If you are having thoughts of suicide, I encourage you to reach out to someone. If you're here in the U.S. with us, you can call the National Suicide Prevention Hotline at 1-800-273-8255 or visit suicidepreventionlifeline.org. But Yeah, I'll do um, when this episode goes up. I will go grab, because I know there's that hotline, there's a, like, youth hotline, there's a trans hotline now. I'm curious, though, like, not to deviate from the seriousness of this conversation, so this is soul serious part to it. I wonder how many, like, in that percentage of elderly people who have committed suicide... I would Mm -hmm. be curious, like, if there's a percentage of them who were dealing with terminal illness. Yeah. And maybe it was a, like, not an assisted suicide, obviously, if they're committing suicide by themselves. But if it was as a result of, like, you know, I'm not going to get any better. I would rather be in control of when I leave, how I leave, what I look like making sure I have everything set up for my family, you know, like all of those, I don't want to be a burden, like that kind of stuff, which, well, and I think does still go into, does still go into mental health, but I, I am very strongly an advocate of assisted suicide, um, in, in terminal situations. Um, I think that it should be within a person's, rights to decide you know if they're unable due to illness um to continue or they don't want to because you know not everyone can handle chemo and not everyone physically mentally and not everyone wants wants to put their family through that yeah and and sometimes sometimes it's a situation of like you know you have a very good chance of the the chemo working and everything being going into remission and being okay. But sometimes it's a situation of like, you can go into chemo for six months and to just get six months. And you know, at what point is it worth it? And so I would be, I would be curious to see if that skews the percentage higher because of that age range. Yeah. And, and that's a, that's a very good point. And, and I think that that could also be the case with any amount of young people or the, the way they described it in the article was that like the younger people, um, 
seem to be struggling more with dealing with their mental illnesses. The people who were like from 40s to 50s, it seemed like it stemmed more from economic issues. Yeah. Whereas the older, the older people, um, it was more physical inabilities. Yeah, I could definitely. And that's generally. I could definitely see, especially in like the sort of Asian stereotype of, mm -hmm. you know, the overachiever that we've all kind of become accustomed to understanding. And I think from a lot of the, like, Asian culture I have observed through, like, K-dramas and comics I read from Asian authors and things like that, you know, I think that that harsh reality of, you know, when you turn 40 or 50 and you're not quite old enough to retire but you're not quite young enough to be seen as an asset you know mm -hmm. that kind of you know to liken it to something in the u.s it's like that you know golden age for a female actress in hollywood you know yeah. there's that line in um the first wives club i think where it's like you know she's not young enough to be the uh, the babe anymore but she's not old enough to be you know driving miss daisy like she's in this mm -hmm. weird like district attorney age i think is what goldie Hawn <laughs> describes it as whereas like you know you're you're in this awkward spot where you're no longer the like seen as the sharp new person that's bringing fresh ideas but you're also like not so old that you're ready to retire the wise and old woman. yeah and that yeah that conflict and competition with people that are so much younger than you mm -hmm. in such a like such a society and a culture driven so much like your your worthiness is driven so much by like how much you work yeah. and like how effective you are in your job versus your happiness your family life or anything else I could definitely see how that could strain your, you know, your mental stability. Yeah. And and going back to what you said before about uh, people with terminal illnesses not wanting to be a burden, somebody who has a mental illness or is having financial struggles or physical uh, incapabilities, having to say, I'm help. burdening somebody. Yeah. yeah. And that that is a cause for shame and that is certainly something that perpetuates the ideas and thoughts of suicide and it should not be it should not be that you do not feel like you're able to ask for help because the human condition is to be with other people yeah. and to help other people and we should perpetuate that humans are social creatures no matter yes. how introverted or extroverted you are you still need some amount of social interaction to maintain a, a healthy existence. So sort of getting off my soapbox and getting back to ghosts, these <laughs> patients were very likely hurting and lonely and scared. And I have no problem with accepting that this place was probably haunted for those reasons. And maybe the grounds still are. Maybe the spirits are have dispersed since their hospital was destroyed and that escape that they were talking about the cuckoo man could have been his escape in a spiritual sense rather than 
a physical, this man escaped a hospital sort of idea. But I really wanted to, um, going into that, I wanted to avoid that idea of the um, Asian stereotype of competitiveness and then be able to treat that with sensitivity when I found that that maybe really is what is causing all of these these issues. So, yeah, it's unfortunate that that is how that story ended up, but I felt like it was important to talk about. Um, so please, again, if you if you are having any issues, reach out to somebody. There is no shame in reaching out. It can only get better when somebody takes your hand and helps you. I have Roya. She's my therapist. I am not. She's not. <laughs> I have an actual therapist. <laughs> I do help. I just don't have to pay Roya. Unfortunately. I should start charging you. You should. I, I pay for art. <laughs> I demand a bag of gummy sloths once a month as payment. Alright. <laughs> I'm kidding. Please don't. I'm trying to cut back on sugar. <laughs> Don't act like you weren't excited for those. I was, and I was more excited for the wine glass because I'm excited to have two. I got one the the one I had I got at like a Christmas gift exchange, like Secret Santa. And uh-huh. I was like, I don't even talk about drinking at work. Like, who knew me well enough to know that I would want a wine glass? <laughs> Is it like the the exact same yeah, one? Yeah, the exact same one. Oh wow, that's funny. Yeah, because there were several that said "Let's get slothed on them." I'm pretty sure. Yeah, uh, yeah, I'm pretty sure it's the same one. So that was a heavy story, and I'm sorry for that. But I felt like it needed to be said, and uh, especially with everything going on these days, yeah. I wanted to put that out there. Yeah, times are tough, but, you know, we still need everybody out there fighting and assisting and benefiting, hopefully, from the changes that we're making. Yep. So, And since we're, since we're talking about uh, South Korea real quick, thanks to all the K-pop stands out there. Yeah, and John Cena. For doing your part. <laughs> I didn't realize that John Cena was in the BTS army. I just think that's super funny. He's a big fan. The what of army? BTS. That's like their fan. Are you serious? Yeah, he matched their donation to the Black Lives Matter organization of a million dollars. Oh Jesus! I need to read about this. Yes. He's evidently awesome. a huge K-pop stan. <laughs> wow. Okay. You need to tell me your story now because I cannot wait to tell AJ that he's gonna lose it. <laughs> okay. So. Like Casey said a little bit, uh, I apologize for mispronunciations. I am not super duper familiar with the Korean Did language. Did you say Asians? Mispronouncing Asians? No, mis- mispronunciations. Mis- mispronunciations. Okay, I thought you said for mispronouncing Asians. <laughs> no. <laughs> it's like, I'm pretty sure wow. I <laughs> No, I meant the like names and yeah. uh the name of the city i think i know how to say yeah. it but i might think i know how to say it and then totally not know how to say it so sorry in advance <laughs> so 
Hwasayong, South Korea, is predominantly farmland, um, boasting a population of around 620,000 people in 2016. Its city bird is the pigeon. Oh, yeah. One of its main items of produce is honey melons, and it's home to Korea's Zodiac Killer. Oh, shit. So This is the Zodiac speaking. <laughs> On September 26, 1989, Lee Chon Jai, Lee Chon Jai, I'm gonna call him Lee for the rest of this, uh, broke Sounds into good. a house armed with weapons and wearing gloves. The landlord happened upon him and he was arrested for breaking into the house and was sentenced to a year and a half of prison. Lee filed a complaint stating that he had only gone into the house because he was running away from someone who was trying to harm him. This changed the sentence to two years of probation. Hmm. On January 13th, 1994, Lee and his father-in-law came into the police station to report Lee's 18-year-old sister-in-law missing. She was found two days later in a snow-covered garage belonging to a hardware store. She was found bound, gagged, raped, and strangled with a plastic bag over her head and jeans over that with several items of clothing used to tie her body up, and then she was wrapped in a blue tarp. That's gross. This was also remarkably similar to a set of murders that happened a little while earlier, about... I don't know, about 10 years, less than, less than 10 years um, earlier, there was a set of 10 unsolved uh, rapes and murders that happened where the victim was bound with their own clothing, raped and strangled with their own clothing. Mm. Um, so Lee raised suspicions on January 18th that he may, be, may have been involved with his sister-in-law's murder when he was reported asking, Hey, how many years do you serve in prison for rape and murder? <laughs> oh, God. Oh, God. All right. Nope. Pass. So Lee denied that he committed the crime, um, but it still went to trial despite some arguments saying that he had only asked those questions or been heard asking those questions as a result of police brutality, um, sort of just forcing the, him to say those words. Uh, but the court decided that that was not how it went down. Um, and he went to trial and was found guilty of the crime and was sentenced to death. Well, that's good. In 1995, the sentencing was reevaluated and changed to life with the possibility of parole in 20 years. However, in October mm -hmm. of 2019, yes, just last year, Lee's case was about to get a whole lot more interesting. Yes, give it to me. So in 1986 until 1991, like I said, there was a series of brutal rapes and murders in the relatively peaceful city. The victims were all female, ranging widely in age from 14 to 71. Ugh. Ugh to both of those numbers. The victims were, were gagged, 
raped, and then strangled with their own clothes. Uh, the cave, the the cave, <laughs> the brain. What? The case mm -hmm. became particularly infamous within South Korea because it was the first string of murders with a distinct modus operandi. So this is the first time that Korea was definitively able to say that they had a serial killer. Yeah. Um, police involved spent two million man days mulling over this case, going over all the details, trying to figure out who this possibly could have been. And they wow. they looked into over 21,000 people as suspects. That's a lot of fucking people. Yeah. So there were a few witnesses that came forward and helped to create a composite sketch of the suspect, but it's not a great sketch, um, and so it didn't help it narrow it down too much because not a ton of people had seen him, and when he was perpetrating these attacks, it was said that he was always like wearing a hood or a hat or it was dark. Um, it was hard to definitively tell what he looked like 100%. Um, and so they had a bit of a hard time. I mean, it wasn't like the worst composite sketch I've ever seen, but it definitely is a little generic. Yeah. Um, so in 2019, Lee was identified as the perpetrator of some of these horrible crimes from advancements in DNA testing in Korea that had linked him from semen left on the victims. So they were able to run the matches through now, and because he was in prison, he had had his DNA input into the system already, and it came back as matching five of the unsolved crimes. So Lee confessed to a total of 15 rapes and murders, including, including the 10 that were previously unsolved. Wow. That's a lot of fucking rapes and murders. Yeah, this is where you're going to get mad. Oh, no. However, South Korea has a statute of limitations on these sorts of crimes. No! And no! as a result, one of Korea's most prolific serial killers won't actually be tried or held responsible for the horrible crimes he's committed. No! No. And he's only 57. No! Oh, I'm so mad. <laughs> Korea, what are you doing? And I mean, 1990, what was this, 1995? Ugh. That he was put into jail, so it could be five more years, and he could be, oh, I'm so mad. Could be out. It is life with possibility of parole. Um, Not life with a guarantee of parole. Yeah, so. Um, <sighs> but we. Because I feel that it's always very important to recognize the victims of the serial killers because it is all too frequent that we remember the killers and not the victims. And I feel that that's not the right way to have things be remembered. So I'm going to go through the list. Again, I sincerely apologize for any of the names uh, that I butcher. I'm trying my best. So I also found interesting statistics where they had the date 
that the murder was estimated to have completed or completed been committed and then when the body was found and there's one that I just can't wrap my head around so we can talk about that a little bit okay so um, these are the crimes I've got them split up by year so in 1986 on September 15th uh, Lee Wan M was 71 and her body was found four days later October 20th, Park Hyun Suk, uh, 25, her body was found three days later. December 12th, Kwon Jung Bon, 25, her body was found on April 23rd of 1987. Hmm. And the explanation I found, like, the, the scenario I found for her murder was that she was murdered outside of her home. Oh, Okay. So, like, how... I mean, maybe it was snowy? Like, maybe it snowed over her and just didn't melt? Maybe. For the whole... But it still seems like you would check. Like, you would notice. Yeah, yeah, like, you would see... I don't know. I mean, I guess if the footmarks were... Or, like, footsteps were completely gone. That's the only thing mm. I can think of, is that it, like, insane blizzard snow just covered up the body for yeah two or three months and then just melted in april but like holy shit can you imagine just like you've been searching for your missing wife and she's just been like dead on your porch for three months oh my god i mean i'm sorry but like just honestly like nervous laughter but like holy shit yeah that would just uh awful december 14th Lee Kai Suk, um, 23. Her body was found seven days later. Uh, 1987, in on January 10th, Hong Jin Young, 19. Body found the next day. May 2nd, Park Eun Ju, 29. Her body was found a week later. In 1988, uh, September 7th, On Gi Soon, 54. Her body was found the next day. Um, September 16th, Park Sang-hee, which is one of the 14-year-olds. I don't have details on when her body was found. Um, 1990, uh, December 15th, Kim Mi-jung, uh, 14, her body was found the next day. 1991, April 3rd, Kwon Soo-sang, 69, her body was found the next day. And then 1994, January 13th, uh, Lee's unnamed sister-in-law, 18. The variance in age is really bizarre. I think he had to have been, the, the little bit that I read, and it kind of lays out that he is a, um, what I've seen described as like an anger excitation rapist. So he's looking for someone who is like an easy target someone who is on their own it doesn't necessarily mean someone that he can scare uh someone that he yeah. feels confident that he can overpower that won't fight back too much right and so i can kind of understand the age range because it's more about the attainability of the target and less about like 
what they he's not a Ted Bundy. He's not looking for right. a specific type and if they don't fit that type he's not interested. That's not what he's worried about. He just wants right. them to be in a point where they can't they're vulnerable, they're alone and they don't look like they can take him in a fight. Yeah. So young children, old women. Yeah. And I mean 25 25 19 29 23 like yeah there was a fair amount of of younger you know in their 20s too um that definitely the oldest like at 71 being the first victim makes a lot of sense because what i've heard explained a lot in what i've read and researched is like as the age of the victim goes down the age of the attacker goes up because younger predators are more confident in their ability to take on someone who is elderly um, because they're not sure how it all works yet. And so they don't want to struggle with a kid that's going to, like, scream and cry and, you know, draw a bunch of attention. But then they also don't necessarily want to try to take on someone their own age because they understand how strong they are. And, you know, a 20-year-old woman is going to be arguably more often stronger than a 71-year-old woman. Mm -hmm. And so it makes sense with the first victim being the oldest because he's still trying to figure out how all of this works. Um, There's also several possible um, murders that happened. Kim Mi-soon, Kim Ya-ra, Park Sun-ja... Kim Jin Ah and Lee Ji Yuan, um, who were all found with similar MOs to what Lee did. Um, some of the bodies weren't found. Uh, the, the specifically the one that was not found was Kim Yu Ra, which was a nine year old, um, which is attributed to a copycat murderer who was caught. Um, but because so much of the MO matches what they suspect with her, they're kind of not sure. Neither one of them have ever confessed completely to her crime or to her death. Um, Mm -hmm. so it's kind of like, it's attributed to one of these two, but they're not sure which. Um, so there's actually no evidence, not that it matters, but there's no distinct evidence that, Lee is actually a pedophile. He is a hebophile, but no evidence that he's a pedophile. Mm-hmm. But Lee has also confessed that he had committed more than 30 rapes and attempted rapes in addition to the 15 he admitted to. So bringing the total to 45 rapes and then 15 murders. Okay. Um, and basically, when well, when he was faced with the evidence of the five that he was connected to through DNA, he just, well, here's all, all of them because none of them can be used to punish him in any way due to South Korea, for some reason, bizarre. having a statute of limitations on murder. That's so bizarre. Right? I mean, I think it's bizarre to have a statute of limitations on rape, too, but whatever at least you know we don't have a statute of limitations on murder i just yeah i thought that was really weird too because i don't i feel like you would want 
that would be like the one the one crime you definitely want to like be able to try is yeah. murder especially i don't know it almost feels like there needs to be an exception made to someone who killed 15 people versus one yeah. one person Ugh. but well that pissed me off yeah <laughs> I I was looking for cases and I I started this one and it was like just I just found the the murder of the sister-in-law and I was like oh okay like I'll read about it and see and then I was like oh this is like one of those golden state killer you know BTK situations where it's like whoops I didn't know DNA was a thing like <laughs> oh which I still, I think wow. we're going to see more and more of over the coming years. Yeah, that's fair. We've already, I mean, BTK was kind of a technicality, but, I mean, Golden State Killer would not have been caught if he his uh, relative hadn't submitted to one of the DNA testing companies. There's another uh, serial killer, too, whose name escapes me right now, who that also happened to in the last couple of years. I think we're going to start seeing more and more of it. I mean, this wasn't that exact scenario, but I think as DNA becomes more prevalent, especially as our ability to test DNA becomes more fine-tuned, where we can really get even more detail, or smaller right. smaller samples can be used, smaller and smaller samples. Um, yeah, I think there's going to be a lot of cases that we'll eventually be able to solve. I'm so curious. Well, this is a rough episode. I'm so curious about um the potential of finding out who Zodiac is based on DNA on the envelopes. They yeah. just don't have anyone to compare it to. Hmm. Well, wasn't there a guy who was like, it was my dad? Why doesn't he do it? Um, Was there for Zodiac? I thought there, there was. was. There is for Black Dahlia. Yeah, the 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 Black Dahlia murder, like, there's almost, like, no way it's not his dad. <laughs> Based on everything I've read, he even had a picture of her in his wallet, like, of her, of Elizabeth, smart, alive, not smart. Oh, wow. That's Elizabeth, oh. Yeah, no, I know, uh, I think it starts with an S. Yeah, Elizabeth Short. Yeah, Elizabeth Short. Elizabeth Smart's the the girl who got kidnapped. Okay, yeah. Gary off. Stewart says it was Earl Van Best Jr., his biological father, who died in 1984. Then maybe the um the DNA that they tried wasn't was too old or something. They're still looking for maybe. it. Because I know they were hopeful that they could pull it off of the stamp or the envelope. Yeah. Because at the time, like, there was no, like, DNA wasn't even a thought that someone would have. Yeah. There's no reason, like, now you would just, you know, like, you could wet the stamp and the envelope and seal them still if you wanted to do the same sending letters to the police situation. Yeah. But then, you know, it wasn't even a an idea that it could be done. Well. Oh, man. Yeah. That would be a fun. I might do that sometime. Okay. No, there's a a like conspiracy theory slash like I don't know, kind of like Illuminati of murderer idea no. that um 
Charles Manson Zodiac and um, Son of Sam are were all in contact with one another based on some information that um, the Son of Sam gave during interviews and that there's oh. some serial killer that's never been identified except by him that's only called Manson 2 and like that might be a fun rabbit hole to fall down sometime alright sounds good Patreon <laughs> I'm sure Black Dahlia will be on I'm sure Black Dahlia will be on Patreon eventually thanks for joining us today as we sadly discussed the strange and unusual in South Korea sorry it got a little heavy and a little dark Next week, we will be back with another episode on the gods. Not sure what kinds of gods we're doing yet, but we're going to be talking about them. Uh, Next week, be there. We hope that you will reach out to us with your own experiences. We want your stories, your questions, and your feedback. Send us an email at strangeunusualpodcast at gmail.com. If you are sending a, uh, a story, we just ask that you would put listener story in the subject line so that we can get through those a little more easily. Have you ever heard from the cuckoo man? Cuckoo. Cuckoo. Are you, is your DNA possibly related to a well-known serial killer? Please. Yeah. Are you tell us. Are you related to the Zodiac? Are you the Zodiac? And and then is it the Zodiac from California or the the copycat Zodiac from New York? Because I want to know the difference. Was the, there was another... There was a Zodiac killer who just, like, people thought he was the Zodiac killer because he was saying that he was killing someone based on their Zodiac, but it turns out yeah, that it was just, fun. yeah, it turns out it was just sheer luck that he was killing people with different Zodiac signs. Yep. <laughs> yep. So. Oh, yeah, it's my dog. you want to know? Yep. <laughs> You can also find us on Instagram at strange underscore unusual underscore podcast or our personal accounts Roy Rampage and Calamity Casey where we post the weird shit in our personal lives. You can find us on Twitter at underscore strange unusual at Calamity Casey and at Roy Rampage. We're on Facebook. Just search the strange and unusual podcast. If you'd like to tell us which deities to be discussed in future episodes, you can join us over on Patreon at patreon.com slash strangeunusual. Um, we have a wide variety of different bonus episodes that are on Patreon. And I promise as soon as the world starts becoming a little bit more sane again, or I get more <laughs> accustomed to the insanity that it is, um, that we will be updating the episodes on there. Um, but we do interact. There is a Discord chat, um, and we do post polls for like the deities episodes on what type of deity you want us to talk about. There's also a Patreon level where you can demand specific cases or um, different things of that nature to be covered. And we will take priority on those and make sure that they get covered. We also understand right now that it is not the easiest time to be alive and that money can be a little bit tight. So if you're enjoying our content but you're not able to support us on Patreon, we totally understand. Um, And anything that you can do 
to help get the word out about us, whether that be rating, reviewing, subscribing to us on whatever podcast app you're using or sharing our messages and updates on social media or just suggesting us to friends that you think might enjoy us. We'd really appreciate it. It would help us continue to grow and move forward and let us know that, you know, there are people who are out there who actually are listening and actually enjoy us and are paying attention, which, you know, for a couple of pseudo narcissists means a lot. Yeah. (laughs) We need affirmations. I need to be validated, people. We need validate. We need head pets and being told that we're doing a good job. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, And again, we will uh, make sure to put notes or put uh, information in our notes uh, for this episode about, um, you know, if you need help or suicide prevention information. Um, We are very big advocates to uh, lessen the stigma of mental health issues. And we want you to know that we are here and we see you and we love you. So thank you. And I think that's it for today. Yep. We're going <laughs> to stop it. Bye.